I'm Alex Kappelman. This is The Decision, the podcast where people try to convince me to abandon the Knicks and become a fan of their favorite team. This is episode 31, the Seattle Supersonics, the defunct team from Seattle that ended up becoming the Oklahoma City Thunder. And to talk about the Sonics with me is my friend, uh, Whitney Jones. He's also uh, my coworker. He and I host a podcast together called Pitch. And uh, he was so excited uh, to talk about the Sonics that he put on all of his Sonics gear, including the Sonics uh, starter jacket, uh, which he texted me a photo of right before the call. Um, so let's get into it. I, I took off the jacket that that my little brother sent me that jacket for Christmas a couple years ago. It's one of like the the old warm up jackets they had from like the early nineties. Yeah, um, starter jacket. But it's it's yeah, it's it's very loud. Like it's it's polyester and it makes a lot of noise. So I, I I'm oh, it's literally it very loud. I mean, it's also it's, yeah, colorfully loud. Visually very loud and and audibly or orally audibly very loud. So, <laughs> well, thanks for taking it off, man. Um, you're a true yeah, yeah, pro. Yeah. yeah. Um, so okay, tell me about why you're a Sonics fan because you're from you're from near Portland, right? Yes, I grew up in Oregon. This is actually part of why I'm a Sonics fan. I grew up in Monmouth, Oregon, which at the time I was there was a town of about six thousand people. Um, the the important feature here is that it is fifteen miles north of Corvallis, Oregon, which is where Oregon State University is. And uh, in nineteen ninety. Sports Illustrated named Gary Payton the top, like the best college basketball player in the country. And nothing within 15 minutes of me, nothing in 15 minutes of Monmouth, Oregon is the best of anything. And so... <laughs> and Gary Payton was playing at OSU. And Gary Payton was playing at OSU that year. And so his senior year, he's the best possible, one of the best college basketball players in the country. And he's an exciting player. And I like that was fun. And then he got drafted by Seattle... And uh, Kemp had been drafted by Seattle the year before. Sean, uh, Sean Kemp. Sean Kemp. So my my uncle was a fan of the Sonics, and part of part of the relationship between he and I was a, was bonding over this team. Um, at the same time, in opposition to uh, my brothers and my sisters and my parents, who were all Blazer fans at the time. That that rivalry is is a super important rivalry to my Sonics fandom. The the rivalry between the Blazers and the and the Sonics. I guess starting at about middle school, me and my older brother, my dad, would go up to um, first Portland Memorial Coliseum and then the Rose Garden and watch the Blazers play at home against the visiting Sonics every year. And I would go there in my Sonics gear. And it seemed like almost every game it would come down to the final possession or two. And very often, like, Peyton would steal the ball and go down and lay it in to win the game, like, in the final 30 seconds. <laughs> so I'd be there in just like a sea of Blazer fans, just like... This little middle school kid yelling for my favorite team, and it was so much fun. But it was like that opposition was such a part of it, and like I, I, I don't know, it was it was so much fun. Um, and so, so then you went through the '90s, right? When you had Gary Payton, yeah. you had Sean Kemp, you had like these crazy players that they went to the finals. That team was so exciting. Like I, I go back and watch clips today, and there there are certain teams from that era that look dated. Like, they look like they play slow. The Sonics are not that. They look like they would compete in in any era that, that's come along since then. And, and so my, my Sonics were sort of uh, 90 through about 2002, 2003, when, uh, when Peyton got traded. Uh, to the Bucks. But, yeah. Yeah. 
and and then L.A. and uh, Boston, and then Miami. I uh, forgot about those later years. Yeah, I mean, he won he won a <laughs> ring in Miami, right? People forget that he didn't just like go and and like tag along to win a ring in Miami. Like he was an important part of that playoff run. Like he won games for them down the stretch. So so those those middle years, '94 uh, was the year that they. Bounced out of the first round against the Nuggets. <laughs> There's that classic scene where Dikembe Mutombo, who, for all oh, accounts, yeah. is like one of the best dudes in the world. Uh, he's he's on the ground, like with the ball at the end of the series, like crying and screaming, and like that image has haunted me <laughs> <laughs> and has made me hate him and the Nuggets uh, ever ever since then. 95-96 season. That was the 72 and 10 Bulls, right? Right, right. And. Possibly, like one of the top two, arguably greatest teams of all time. Right. Some people um, would argue that it is the greatest team of all time. Yeah. Some people have argued that it is the. I mean, it, it's people. obviously Golden Golden State won more games, but I, I don't. I, it, it depends on who you are and and what area you grew up in. I guess is usually where where people fall on that. But that same season, Seattle won sixty four games. Like they were, they were any other year, they would have been the best team in the league. Wow, that's crazy. Um, and so after after bouncing out of the first round the year before, they come back and they they get to the finals and are playing Jordan and the Bulls at Jordan and the Bulls' peak, and they lose the first three games. Peyton is is <laughs> Peyton always had a very interesting relationship with his coaches, particularly George Carl. Like in the early part of his career, they butted heads a lot, but ultimately, like it was a fruitful. Relationship. I, I think the teams that got built out of that were, were quite good. Peyton was arguing with his coach the first three games that he wanted to guard Jordan. And he was a point guard. Jordan was not the point guard. And so it, it made some match made for some matchup differences. But they lost the first three games. Um and game four, Peyton switches off onto Jordan. And to the degree that anyone contained Jordan in any final series, Peyton did it. I think in those final three games, Peyton very clearly outplayed Jordan. And the Sonics pick up games. Uh, this team has lost 10 games all season. I don't know. I, I don't remember how many games they'd lost in the playoffs. It, it was either none or one, like coming into that series. Seattle beats them in game four, beats them again in, beats them again in game five. Game six is that Father's Day game where Jordan and the Bulls finally win in the series. But Peyton holds Jordan to his lowest finals output ever. He holds him to 22 points, which like holding somebody to 20 points, yeah, but like Jordan typically averaged about 30 to 35 points a game in the finals. Um, So Peyton to me is the greatest point guard of all time. And I think the argument can be made for that. Uh, In that final series, I, I think he outplayed Jordan, which is something in that 72 and 10 season. Yeah. If you want me to go into that argument, like Peyton, Peyton was nine time all defensive team, only point guard to ever be defensive player of the year. It's like, really? He's he's the the only point guard to be defensive player of the year. Yeah. Huh? Yep. Um, huh? On the offensive side, he's number four all time in scoring among point guards. Only Oscar Robertson, Jerry West and Allen Iverson are above him. Hmm. Number four in in total rebounds for point guards all time. Number eight in assists all time. Like he was the best defensive point guard in NBA history, and his numbers on the offensive side put him in the, about the top five. So, um, so you've done your research. Um, you, you all you have, you, you don't have any real basketball games. All you have are your stats. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, memories. I mean, basketball, basketball fandom is like nostalgia plus the hope of like future success. And Sonics fans don't have that hope of future success right now. <laughs> and so we're just like stuck along with like the Seattle Supersonics uh, intellectual property that stuck it like in, <laughs> in the bowels of Key Arena. Like Sonics fans are just like wandering around down there being like, oh, I remember this. I remember that. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I, I can't even, the, the closest that I've come to losing my team is uh, the movie Eddie, when, uh, actually, the, I think it was a guy from, from Oklahoma City, came, comes in and buys the team and tries to move the Knicks to Oklahoma City. I believe it's Oklahoma City, I'll double check that, but um, how, how does it feel for that fictional, you know, farce, or for that farcical uh, movie to to be your actual like you actually lost your team. Yeah, I, I don't remember Eddie that well, other than that Gary Payton was actually in it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, losing your team. I mean, the way that it happened, I think left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. Um, and and like, I mean, you I, I've I've. I've, I have the benefit of, of kind of going last and having heard a number of the other episodes where you talk about politics. And I think the politics are important here. Um, I am a person who thinks that public funding of arenas for basically what, like NBA teams are, are luxury items for obscenely wealthy owners, right? Yeah, that appreciate and value at a ridiculous degree. Asking the public to pay for your new arena so that you can continue to make more money, I think is is obscene. And the fact that Seattle and Washington State and some of the surrounding areas who were approached in this manner, after this comes in the context of uh, Seattle publicly funding a new arena for their baseball team in 1999 and their football team in 2002, and they just they just refurbished uh, Key Arena, I think, in '95. And so, coming off that, you have first Howard Schultz, the owner of or CEO of of Starbucks at the time, who could put a Starbucks on every corner in the country, but couldn't get what like two hundred million dollars together to, to to retrofit Key Arena. And then he sells it to an Oklahoma City businessman who. Uh, says, oh, they, they didn't approve $220 million, so I'm going to ask for $500 million for a new arena. Asking the public to pay for that is is wrong, I think, on, on like a moral and ethical level. And so the fact that the state and the city stood up to that and said, no, we're not going to do that, and that they lost their team because of that, like I, I haven't forgiven the NBA for that yet. How, yeah, this is an issue that we kind of have touched on, but not really um, so much during during the series. Um, you know, we do live in the real world, and um, you know, billionaires and multimillionaires are going to try to exploit, you know, try to make as or try to not spend as much money as possible, um, and so you know, like. The city of Seattle was punished for standing up to, you know, a, a multimillionaire, a billionaire, um, and then they, you know, they and they lost their, um, 
they, they lost their team because of it. Um, and I, I, I don't really know how to, how to feel about that. I mean, I think it's obviously terrible. Like, how, like, do you think that the city, knowing that, you know, you lost your team, that knowing that Seattle lost its team, do you think that that was the right move in the end? I think so. I think it was. Certainly there are enough billionaires in Seattle that you could put together a, a funding package for a new arena if you really wanted to. And I, I mean, I think since then you've seen a number of efforts to do just that. Um, there's sort of constantly efforts to bring a team back, either expansion or, or move a team from somewhere else back to Seattle. And um, to my knowledge, none of that has been on the basis of public funding of an arena. It's always been a group's of people going out and trying to find investors to to put together a, a package. Yeah, I mean, this now like I, I'm not a, I'm not a taxpayer in Seattle, but just like as a general principle, I think I think that's the right one of of not publicly funding sports stadiums. I think right. there's better things that that money can go to. Right. Uh, the counter argument, which I'm not too, you know, um, versed in uh, the counter argument to that is, yeah, but look at, you know, we bring in jobs. We, you know, Seattle, ha you know, has like, uh, you know, is on the map because of the Sonics, you know. There, you there's know. been a lot of studies of this, of like actual economic benefit to having an arena in in your neighborhood. And they they don't stand up very well to those arguments. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. It just kind of gets back to this whole thing that like, hey, remember the NBA is is a business that thrives on making money. Its entire existence is to make money. Like that's why that's why it exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and um, you know, there there is all this magical kind of fun, amazing stuff. And and as fans, we get um we get super in, invested into our teams. Um, but at the same time, it's so that, you know, just to turn it back to the Knicks, like James Dolan just just uh, donated an additional hundred and twenty five thousand uh, dollars to um, to Donald Trump, um, and this was the in addition to the money that I that I knew that he donated before I even started this project. I think he donated it last quarter, and the news just just kind of broke. We have to keep in mind that these are businesses, and and all the rules of life and capitalism still apply. Yes, and, and I would say that this is something that I was thinking about like after hearing the first episode is that I don't think fans necessarily, and I think this goes to the heart of your project, I don't think fans owe loyalty to their, to their long, to their long-term teams. I mean, loyalty in the NBA goes one direction. It's expected of fans, it's expected of players, but the owners do not extend that same loyalty the, the organizations do not extend that same loyalty to the players and to the fans and to the cities that they're in. I mean, you, you, Durant is a classic example of this, right? Like, he was drafted by the Sonics. He played there for a year and then saw his organization just abandon the city with a 41-year history, right? Right. So then you're going to then criticize him when he makes a decision about what's best for himself <laughs> and leaves that same organization and goes and plays for the Warriors? No, like... You can't, I mean, this is a bigger problem with like, I guess, capitalism as a whole, right? Is like workers are expected to be loyal to companies that don't give that same loyalty back to them. Right. And I think we see that all the time with NBA owners and fans and players. Right. Although, although I will say there are owners that are very loyal to, um, to certain players and certain members of their, of their staff and, you know, in the organization. I think James Dolan is actually 
a great example of that. He's he's been known to be very loyal. Um, unfortunately, his loyalty really extends to people like Isaiah Thomas, who you know there was a, a harassment scandal with Isaiah Thomas, and now Isaiah Thomas is running the uh, WNBA team that Dylan owns. So I don't know. I would say this. I would say that. I think if you look at all the other teams that you've talked about over the course of the series, very frequently you get to owners, and like the owners are at best problematic, right? At best, yeah. If if you want to hate owners, there's no better position to do that from than as a as a Sonics fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, okay, so we're, we're going to take a quick break. Um, be, when we get back, uh, Whitney's going to make his final pitch to get me to, to be a Sonics fan. Hi, this is Sherry Vincent, born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. And yes, I still root for the Bulls. I actually met Michael Jordan once when I was practicing tennis next to him at this kind of elite health club. But this is not about me. This is about the decision. And it's sponsored by Alex's Twitter feed, at Alex Kappelman. The best way to support the show is to follow Alex on Twitter. You can find all of his long threads with Linda Holmes. You can hear him talking about the latest pop music and all that fun stuff. That's at Alex Koppelman. And until then, back to the show. All right, Whitney, here's your final pitch to get me to to be a Sonics fan. and, And I don't even really know what that would entail now, aside from complaining about how my team left the city even though they weren't my team when they left and I now I'm a fan of them and I get to complain I don't know what's give me your final pitch yeah my my final pitch is there's there's sort of two arguments here one is that like as a fan without a team right now all the arguments for like the on-floor product at the other that everybody else has given you are totally valid and you can enjoy all of that like I've gotten to enjoy all of LeBron James's career, right? Right. Without worrying about what team he's at. <laughs> I've gotten to enjoy the Golden State Warriors doing whatever it is they're doing. I've gotten to enjoy, like, my family is still diehard Blazer fans. I really like watching Damian Lillard play. And, like, all, all of the arguments about the young, exciting teams and young, exciting talent, like, that all holds. And you can do that because your fandom with the Sonics is just kind of on hold until they have a team if they ever get a team again. Right, right. The second The second argument is that one day when they do get a team again, do you know how grateful and enthusiastic that <laughs> fan base is going to be? Right. It's like, imagine, imagine your team hasn't been in the playoffs for a decade. And then you make the playoffs one year. How excited you would get about that. Now, imagine if your team didn't even have the shot at a playoff like did, they didn't play a game in 10 years and now they're back like think about that amount of enthusiasm and i mean fr- from all accounts like if seattle gets a team back in the next we'll say decade or so uh like peyton has been hugely involved in those efforts to this point and it seems like he's going to be connected with any sort of a team that comes back he has an exciting brand of basketball and that team is going to be exciting whether they're necessarily good or not. And so, I mean, I guess I said earlier that like being a Sonics fan is the nostalgia without the hope. But the hope, I guess, is is that the team is going to be back at some point. Not that they're necessarily going to win a championship right away. Right. Uh, can I just add one more thing? Like, 
Yeah, if yeah. you don't pick the Sonics, and, and I, I would understand why you, you wouldn't. Um, I don't even know if we're open for converts at this point. But, like, don't don't join up with the Thunder, whatever you do. <laughs> or else what? I don't know. I would have to I would have to reassess some things. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right, Whitney. Uh, Whitney Jones is co-host of Pitch, uh, which is uh, the podcast that I also co-host. Uh, it's a podcast about music. Um, you can follow Whitney at Whitney A. Jones. Uh, Whitney, uh, thank you for uh, talking about capitalism with me. <laughs> sure. Decision is produced by me. Original music from Louis Stein, Alessio Romano, and Scott Kaplan, Malolo Bro Bro. Today is the last day of new episodes. Uh, we have three more, uh, and then and it's the finale, the live finale. Uh, so keep listening. And uh, in between episodes, uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Alex Kaplan. 